Hi, you are listening to On Israel, and this is Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Israel is about to set a world record this week for the highest number of per capita COVID-19 infections and a second nationwide lockdown. All efforts to curb the spread of the disease have failed, mostly because of bad crisis management and political interests that have torpedoed the advice of experts. Israel, which has a global model for its handling of the first coronavirus wave, has become a symbol of failure to control the disease. This is particularly upsetting given Israel's relative advantages over many other countries. It has a young population, efficient and experienced emergency services, and closed borders that make it easy to isolate from the rest of the world. The initial lockdown in the spring drastically reduced the number of infections, but also resulted in mass unemployment and the collapse of tens of thousands of businesses. A new lockdown over the period of the Jewish high holidays later this month will undoubtedly further damage Israel's previously thriving, stable economy and European-level GDP. And as if all of this is not bad enough, Israel is undergoing an unprecedented constitutional crisis with the Prime Minister under criminal indictment, who is waging all-out war against law enforcement authorities and orchestrating daily wild attacks on them. He is demanding an immediate commission of inquiry to examine the so-called failures of law enforcement authorities and refusing to sign a conflict of interest affidavit that is meant to prevent him from subverting the rule of law. Our podcast guest today is one of Israel's leading journalists, Nadav Eyal of Channel 13 News. Eyal is the channel's foreign news editor, a sharp and widely decorated journalist. One of his major achievements is a series entitled Trumpland, which was aired ahead of the 2016 presidential elections and foresaw what seemed an impossibility at that time, a Trump victory. Eyal is considered one of Israel's coronavirus prophets, having identified the epidemic while still in its infancy in China and acquired an expertise about the nature of COVID-19, the cutting-edge research on the disease, the rush for a vaccine, and the different treatments tested in various countries. He enjoys public consensus as a leading, unbiased expert on the fight against the disease. Nadav Eyal will be with us right after a short commercial break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, On Israel with Ben Caspit and On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti.
Now we're saying shalom to Nadav Eyal, foreign news editor of Channel 13 News. And thanks, Nadav, for joining us for the 16th episode of Al Monitors on Israel podcast. Shalom, Nadav. Hi, Ben. It's a pleasure being with you. Thanks. If you could explain to our listeners in one sentence why Israel will probably become the first Western state to impose a second lockdown to block the spread of the coronavirus, what would you say? I would say that Israel will impose uh, harsh uh, uh, actions of some sort because it succumbed to a wave of uh, populism uh, and of basically very ill-mannered and badly shaped government response to the challenge of uh, COVID-19. This was indeed one one hell of a uh, sentence. Uh, so. Israel was given top marks for its handling of the first wave of the uh, economic, uh, epidemic and its excellent results, with Prime Minister Netanyahu advising other world leaders how to do the same. And then catastrophe occurred. It was indeed the result of a hasty and irresponsible lifting of the quarantine and a return to quasi-normal life on the first stage. I think that uh, the main problem was that uh, Israel moved very quickly from uh, that harsh response in the beginning, which was completely justified, mainly the closing of the borders and quarantining anyone that comes into Israel quite quickly. And this was something that Israel saw before other countries. This was uh, mainly the reason that Israel did not see a widespread infection of uh, COVID-19. And then uh, when the results of the lockdown to the Israeli economy were clear, and it was clear also that the government did not think about the economic repercussions of having this, uh, this lockdown that occurred in many countries in the world. Uh, but in Israel, without a detailed program or plan in order to, to prevent poverty, the closing of businesses, and mass unemployment, uh, then the government, in panic, moved, as you said, to open up the market, to open up economy, to open schools with no protection whatsoever. So uh, Israel said at the beginning that uh, studies would be done in capsules and so forth. This lasted for a week, and then after a week, they just opened up basically everything, including weddings and mass social events, something, for instance, that even Sweden, which has a very lax policy in terms of uh, government orders to people of what to do and what not to do, even in Sweden, uh, you know, there are no weddings with more than 50 people since March. Israel conducted uh, dozens, hundreds, thousands of these kinds of events on a short period of time, and indeed it saw a very uh, understandable outbreak of COVID-19 uh, right after that, about 21 days to 30 days afterwards. Uh, and these outbreaks were also assisted by a policy of lowering the number of testing at some point. And Israel did not uh, uh, pinpoint geographically and demographically the communities of the spread then enhance or uh, uh, employ 
lockdown on these specific communities. This it did not do because of political reasons, because these communities, uh, mainly the ultra-Orthodox, are very important in terms of the domestic politics of Israel and for the safety and stability of the current government. Uh, so we, we had here a perfect storm of um, uh, politicians running this thing, uh, of populism also on social networks, in the media, people explaining that uh, if not a lot of Israelis died in the first wave, that means that we don't need uh, any precautions. We don't need to be safe. We don't need to close down or to have any limitations or any social distancing because somehow Israel is either protected or because coronavirus is, is a myth or something like that. It's what the Germans call the prevention paradox. If you prevent it, then people come and tell you, uh, you know, it didn't exist in the first place. And this uh, number of factors contributed a lot to uh, what we're seeing today, which is a widespread outbreak. The point is not only the number of people infected, which is also related to the testing. Israel is testing more than countries, uh, more than most countries in the world, but also uh, to the number of people who are critically ill in hospitals. Even in the, with the surging rate of infection, the morbidity in Israel is one of the lowest in the world. Most of those testing positive for the virus are young, and the number of patients in serious condition or undergoing respiration is relatively low. How do you explain the sense of urgency and the decision to impose another lockdown? Is this, is this over-the-top unjustified panic, or do you think it is the right thing to do? First of all, what I think is really immaterial. What's important is that we have the health ministry, we have the health prof uh, uh, professionals, uh, we have uh, a person who is responsible for the corona response in Israel, uh, Professor Gamzo, which was the CEO of the Ichilov uh, Hospital in Tel Aviv, which is probably one of the largest hospitals in Israel and one of the best hospitals in the Middle East. And they are saying that we need a very strong response, uh, what's called in professional language, a non-pharmaceutical intervention, and we need a strong intervention. I, I'm not talking about a, a, a lockdown per se, or not a lockdown per se, in order to lower infection levels. And the reason is very simple. Uh, we uh, are seeing a rise, a sharp rise, in the number of people which are hospitalized either in a moderate to seriously ill condition in the hospitals. And we have passed the thousand threshold in that sense. So we have more than a thousand people hospitalized from COVID-19. And this is a country of about 9 million people. And we are also seeing, for instance, only in August, we've seen 1,600 people hospitalized a new, newly hospitalized in serious condition in hospitals. Most of these people, their condition improved. Israel health system, although it has uh, suffered a lot of uh, cutbacks by the government, uh, is, is an excellent health system. And most of these 1,600 people, they either survived and moved uh, and are now either not in hospital at all or are on, well on their way to, to feel better. Uh, but hundreds of them died in, in the last month. And that means that the health professionals in this country are saying that if we don't stop infection level right now, 
we will see a surge in hospitals. We'll probably see it anyway in October, uh, but we'll see a surge which will lead, and I'm quoting the official uh, document, will lead to a downgrade of the treatment level that we are giving, not only to corona patients, but to all patients. And this is the risk of the coronavirus outbreak. It's not about people dying from corona. It's true that most of them will be probably very old, and they will have other health conditions. Not to say that their life is not as important, but this is the truth of how it, the dynamic works. The problem is mainly not mortality only from corona, but the way that treating corona patients influences the entire health system, including screening for cancer, including elective surgery, including people going into hospitals because of uh, heart conditions. And all of these things are going to be affected. This is their professional judgment. All the rest is just noise in the media, populists, and all kinds of experts, uh, you know, anointed by themselves, who are trying to have their quick support publicly by saying, you know, the government is doing too much, and let's wait and see. We have waited and seen. Israel has been more open than probably any other country in the Western world in the last four months, including Sweden. And what it has seen here is just, uh, you know, going from 1,000 cases a day to 4,000 cases a day, going from uh, 100 people which are seriously ill to hundreds and hundreds of people, or uh, more than 500 that are seriously ill, uh, and, and this is where we are. Uh, I want to ask you a follow-up question. Many people ask, uh, even analysts or maybe foreign leaders, they ask themselves, how can it be that uh, what we, the so-called startup nation that is launching satellites to the outer space and invented Iron Dome and Disconkey and Waze and, uh, and Mobileye, cannot manage this crisis. What, what happened here between the, the, the genius of the people of Israel and the results in the field? And maybe the answer is that Israel is not really a state as, as you think about it, because it's, it's, it's a commonwealth of tribes. And while we're speaking right now, the Minister of Housing, Yaakov Litzman from the Haredi group, resigned because of the, of the quarantine that is going, the lockdown that is going to be in the next uh, few weeks. And uh, the, the other tribe from Haredim is the, the Arab section. And then we have the demonstrations again at Netanyahu in Jerusalem that are going on as usual. No one is, there is no discipline in Israel. Maybe this is the real serious, uh, the, the real reason, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, well, uh, first of all, the ideas that you're giving, Ben, are of course true. One of the problems here specifically is that we're not seeing a lot of infection level, or at least we didn't see at the beginning, in the communities in the center of Israel, which are much uh, more uh, uh, rich, uh, you know, and financially secure, uh, and they're also not, uh, uh, do not suffer uh, problems of education, of poverty, like we're seeing in some communities, mainly uh, the Arab population and the ultra-Orthodox population. So it's safe to say that anyway you look at it, it's these populations uh, that live on uh, less meters per person, 
uh, and have uh, less money uh, to begin with, it's there that you will see uh, sort of more uh, infection levels. Uh, and this is something that is, is obvious. But also, uh, the problem is as such, as follows. Uh, Israel is an Italian miracle. It has a government and an economy, and it doesn't have anything, uh, you know, in the government which, which corresponds with the startup nation. Uh, the startup nation is not a result of the genius of the Israeli government. This is what they want people abroad to think. The startup nation uh, has been created in spite of the Israeli government. And <clears throat> I wrote about this extensively in March and April. Uh, the startup nation is standing at the door of the state of Israel. It's knocking on the door and saying, we have solutions. We have all kinds of solutions. We're selling these solutions to the world. We have better testing. We have better, better testing methods. Uh, the Weizmann Institute uh, has, you know, all sorts of ways to solve uh, problems which are related to uh, transfer of the virus within the population. Uh, we have really the best scholars in some fields in biology in the world. But nobody's really listening to them and is not handing them the power. The politicians want to run the show and they are running you know, a very ill-played show. Uh, and we are all seeing this in Israel today. Uh, uh, Rabbi, thank you. Government, what, what I, it's if you try to improve the line, I'm losing you from time to time, or maybe get closer uh, to, to the microphone. And you're talking about uh, the politicians are running the show. I think it's a horror show. Uh, yes, uh, well, uh, w it remains to be seen how it will end, but basically, uh, the way that they are running the show is, is irresponsible. It's obvious that it's irresponsible. So Netanyahu got it right uh, at the first way when he saw the threat. He saw the threat and then he did very uh, specific things, which I think were true, were, were the right thing to do. Um, but uh, to have a system, to have an approach, to have a strategic plan to address COVID-19, this is not something that Netanyahu, it's, it's not built into him, you know? He doesn't know how to do long-term planning. He was never good at it. Uh, and the reason that the world has not seen it is because Israel has all kinds of systems, like the defense apparatus, the security apparatus, uh, and of course, it's strong economy and high-tech sector, and they hide by their success. They are hiding the failure of Israeli government. And Israeli government is a total failure for years now. Uh, and it has nothing to do with COVID-19. COVID-19 is only showing us the extent of the failure. Unbelievable. I want to sum up the coronavirus uh, with two, two last questions. First, you have been following the crisis from the start, even from slightly before the start. We are talking about a serious, a serious and largely unfamiliar disease, but despite it all, having read all the studies and closely followed treatment methods around the world, what do you think is ultimate, ultimately the most efficient model for fighting it? We uh, now have the examples of Taiwan, Hong Kong, Japan, and also Sweden that came in for a, a furious uh, criticism, but is now doing quite well 
are we about to see a kind of manual with ins uh, instructions on how to contain the disease quickly and effectively? I think that uh, the jury is still out uh, if we have a manual. Uh, but I I'll tell you what, um, in the end, I think that countries that had an approach uh, so had a coherent approach, so success. And I'm talking about countries like Taiwan, which uh, managed to prevent infection levels to ever occur there, 23 million people. I'm talking about China, which employed severe lockdowns, local lockdowns and general national lockdown. And the meaning of that was that today, uh, China, more than a billion people, doesn't have any serious outbreak. And we should take that in account. I'm talking uh, also about uh, Sweden. Now, Sweden paid a really hefty price. Um, more than 5,800 people dead for a country of less than 9 million people. That's a lot of people dead. Uh, and I, if, if I'm not mistaken, th this is much more than what the Americans paid relative to their population. So it's not such a big success, Sweden, but they do have an approach. You know, I cannot argue that they have an approach. And in a few years or in a year, it might be proven successful. The reason that they don't have today more infection levels, uh, you know, is probably related to that, that their first wave just finished earlier then, for instance, uh, so, sorry, later than the first wave of France or the first wave of, uh, of uh, the UK. Um, so uh, we're not seeing an approach in the US, uh, not a coherent approach, and that's the reason it's a disaster. And we're not seeing an approach today in Israel. Uh, I'll tell you what we do have, which is actually good. Uh, we, we have a good testing system. We don't know how to employ it. So we have a good tool there because we can test a lot of people, but we don't have a good policy in order to use it in order to quarantine the virus spread. Uh, and we have a really good health system. And this health system is relatively flexible and it can go up in terms of its uh, input, intake. Um, now, if we can use what we have today and the fact that we are a country very used to emergency conditions uh, like wars uh, and, and, and national traumas of all sorts, and we have a very good defense apparatus that we can employ with a lot of people who are working, you know, preparing for a conflict, but we can employ them also in the struggle against the disease. Uh, we, we could have done wonders, and this is what's so frustrating for people like me. I, I, you know, it's, it's very hard to understand uh, why Israel, because of all of the reasons you mentioned, Ben, didn't do much better in the following months after the lockdown in March, March April. There's absolutely no reason for such a small country, which is relatively rich, with a good health system, with a good testing system, with, with excellent academia, even if we do have, you know, communities which are more problematic in terms of infection level, that we won't be a big success. And there is no reason for us today to find ourselves on the verge of another lockdown, which still, I hope, somehow will not happen. Yes, but we, are, uh, we, we still, we found uh, ourselves exactly with, uh, where you just uh, declared. And my last question, 
slightly about politics regarding the Corona denial school of thought. In political terms, Israel and the United States are very similar in many regards. Both Trump and Netanyahu appeal to conservative right-wing voters in similar fashion. But when it comes to the coronavirus, the differences are pronounced. COVID-19 denial in the United States is typical of conservative audiences, while in Israel, corona denial is typical of anti-Netanyahu protesters, especially the left-wing political margins regard it uh, as a plot by unnamed elements to control the world. How do you explain this uh, difference? Yeah, I explain this difference by uh, that, that the fake news and pseudoscience don't choose political sides. This was a brilliant answer. Nadav it was a fascinating uh, conversation. I want to thank you very much uh, and see you later. And we're going uh, to take a break, a commercial break right now. And we'll be back with uh, summarizing this issue. Wait for us. Thank you, Nadav. Shalom. Thank you. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for staying with us. It's all about politics, says Nadav Eyal, Channel 13's foreign editor. The Israeli government, he said, failed to handle the COVID-19 crisis because of its inability to face the powerful sectors in the Israeli society and to differentiate between national interests, public health and professional decisions, to narrow political interests and the prime minister's survival efforts. Hope you enjoyed it. To our Jewish listeners, Happy New Year, Shana Tova. Hope to see you back here soon. This is Ben Kaspi on Israel from Tel Aviv. Shalom and bye-bye.